Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. I'm Tom Askell. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Delighted to have you with us. And we are over the moon about having Pastor James Coates from Alberta, Canada, here with us. Brother, we are delighted to have you here. We've been praying for you, been praying for your wife, Erin, been praying mm-hmm. for Grace Life Church uh, all, all over the place. In our church, we have been praying for you, and our family's been praying for you, and delighted to see you standing for the truth, not compromising, loving God's people, and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ as King of Kings. So we're going to give you a more formal introduction in a minute, but we have a number of announcements to uh, talk about as we get started. First, uh, we have the Institute of Public Theology that yeah. is launching classes in the fall. That's right, and registration is open for that. Uh, Tom Nettles is going to be teaching the first course at the end of August, and then I'll be teaching a course the latter part of August, the first couple of days of September. Uh, I'm teaching pastoral theology. Tom's teaching church history one on the pillar and ground of the truth of what the doctrine of the church is through those centuries of the church uh, beginning from the New Testament era up to the Reformation. And then in the middle of those two courses, those are week-long intensive courses, on August 28th, that Saturday, we're going to have a convocation here in Cape Coral, Florida, and we've got Dr. Everett Piper coming to be our keynote speaker for that convocation. So mark your calendars, plan to come down here and join us for the convocation. And if you're interested in IOPT, contact us or just go online at the Institute of Public Theology.org. Uh, check out the registration process. It is somewhat rigorous. We do want you to read and to write uh, to show us that you're serious about the way we're going to be teaching the courses going forward. So uh, thank you for all your support and and interest in that endeavor. That application process is live. Applications are coming in and so you can find more at instituteofpublictheology.org. We also have our Founders Conference coming up, Militant and Triumphant. That is January 20th through the 22nd uh, 2022. And you'll be preaching God's word there. I'll be preaching God's word there. Vody Bauckham is going to be preaching God's word there. Conrad and Bayway is going to be preaching God's word there. And, and Pastor James Coates is going to be preaching God's Amen. word there. We're looking forward to having you down here in Florida, uh, in the States. And it's going to be great to have you with us. So you can go ahead and register for that conference, Militant and Triumph, and go to founders.org for more information and to register. And we have another conference. Yeah, one that's just a few days away in Nashville on June 14th, Be It Resolved. And so this is a one-day conference that's immediately before the uh, convening of the annual meeting of the Southern Baptist Convention in Nashville. That meets uh, The convention meets the 15th and 16th. We'll have all day Monday, the 14th. And, of course, we're hearing a lot about resolutions. Resolution 9 from 2019 is going to be the subject of a lot of conversations at the convention at the SBC. But we want to just not talk about resolution, we want to show some resolve and we want to call for resolve among God's people. So, man, this is uh, a conference we're excited about. We've got Mark Coppinger who'll be there, Jim Work, Tom Nettles, you'll be there, I'll be there, Tom Buck, uh, James Pittman. It's going to be uh, a wonderful time together. Again, you can go to the founders.org website, sign up. Uh, it's just a very minimal cost. We're, we're losing money, a lot of money on this conference just to put it together for the sake of those who will come and be a part of the convention or even if you're not, if you're just in the area, want to come to the conference, we would love to have you there because what we're going to be talking about are radically important issues. Be it resolved. Watch this trailer for the conference. We have a book. It says this. What do you think makes the SBC the best denomination in America? If you believe the book, that's good. We're on the same team. 
I'm going to put it just simply put that we stick to what the scripture has to tell us. I'm not seeing the SBC do what some conventions are doing in terms of uh, stepping away from their, their their values and stances on biblical uh, hot button topics. If you say, yeah, I believe, but, but because of the position I'm in, you know, I really can't say much, then, you know, go get a different kind of job. How do you feel about a woman being president of SBC? I don't know that I have a comment on that, honestly. <laughs> yeah, what do you think scripture speaks on women preachers or pastors? Would you be willing to talk about that at all? I, I'd say the Bible does the Bible does speak upon it. Um, since I'm honestly representing Lifeway, um, I'd rather let Lifeway answer that question. And we're requesting that resolutions nine through thirteen would be taken as a block. I'll tell you what happened. On the adoption of Resolution 9. What happened? We've been played. The resolution is adopted. We've been played. I am shocked that we could have a pro-critical theory resolution come out of our resolutions committee this year. And this resolution is very clear in the way that we have approached the discussion of critical race theory and intersectionality. The whole, all of Christianity, let's end Christianity, <laughs> how do we do it? Yeah, how would you do it? Make them woke. That couldn't have happened last year. That couldn't have happened any year I can remember since before the resurgence was successful, maybe not even then. If I might predict it, they're gonna hold up some icon, a woman, racial minorities, and they'll say a church that doesn't have room for this person doesn't have room for any of us. A Southern Baptist convention that doesn't have a place for Beth Moore doesn't have a place for a lot of us. We will take this as an unfriendly amendment for this purpose. Critical race theory and intersectionality are simply analytical tools. Not They're true. meant to be used as tools, not as a worldview. It's not true. It's not and true. the original resolution that was submitted by a pastor out in California actually said 180 degrees opposite. They took the title of the resolution that was submitted by the messenger from California, and then they gutted it and put their own words in there to turn it into something that was not at all what was submitted. I think that is at best disingenuous. That most of the folks in our churches have not bought into this. Yeah. You know, I just think most of the folks in our churches still believe the Bible. What a trailer for this upcoming conference. Uh, we certainly need resolution. Absolutely. And that trailer identifies the need for it. You can actually register for that conference. Go to founders.org. You will see live on that page ways to um, attend that conference in Nashville. And if you can't get to Nashville, there is a way to live stream that conference. You do so by actually joining our Founders Alliance membership. That is our FAM. Uh, you can find out more at founders.org. And that conference, be it resolved, will be live streamed through our 
fam portal. We're so happy to have James Coates with us today. And uh, this t-shirt that was made by carpefide.com, I think was inspired by you, James. It's a t-shirt that has a pulpit on it and it says, come and take it. And so these guys are producing these t-shirts and you can go to carpefide.com and order these t-shirts. And they're actually going to give a, a percentage. I think it's 10% of the proceeds are going to go to uh, you, your legal expenses, to great Life Church, so they have information about that, but we're delighted to uh, let folks know about this effort to be supportive of you, and of course, the world's attention has been brought to Grace Life Church because of what has happened there with the Canadian government cracking down upon the congregation, and you... Un, not suspecting what was going to happen when you went to uh, appear, as you were called to do, before the court, and they arrested you, and you wound up staying in jail for 30 or 35 days. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, 35 days, and by God's grace, got out, but that uh, case continues on, at least a portion of it, in the Canadian court system, and we're grateful for, so far, how it's going, but man, welcome, and thank you for your faithfulness, thank you for your willingness to stand firm and to be joyful in the midst of opposition and persecution, uh, both you and your wife, your kids, and the whole congregation, so we're delighted to have you on the Sword and Trial today. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thank you for your support. You guys have been um, a huge support to everything that we're doing, and uh, and and to have that has been a great encouragement. So we, we're thankful. Thank you. Let me start, James, by just asking how your wife and kids are doing. You know, we've been praying for your whole family, and I imagine um, having your husband in jail <laughs> for being a Christian pastor and following the Bible for over 30 days um, is quite an, quite an ordeal to walk through. How's everybody doing? They're doing well. I, I think that there has been a whole process that has, has increasingly escalated over time that, that has allowed us to kind of prepare for everything that has taken place along the way. It, it hasn't sort of been unforeseen or or like it came out of nowhere we could see this developing and escalating and so we had lots of time to to ready ourselves for how it was going to progress even with my imprisonment and uh, and so i think my family is doing pretty well i mean obviously it, it takes a bit of a toll on them to some extent but um but i think overall they're they're doing well and uh and and life for the most part is normal except for say Saturday night when we're more cognizant to the possibility that I could be going back to jail. Mm. So to talk about that a little bit, uh, the church and how you guys are doing, um, you know, you're, you've been resolved to continue to meet and trying to shepherd the congregation. It's got to be massive, massive challenges that you and your fellow elders are facing as you try to lead your church through these uncertain days. So give us a little update just about how the church is doing, how it's responding, how your elders, fellow elders are doing as well. Church is doing well. We uh, we continue to meet, and uh, and our meetings are are sweet and uh, and are edifying. They're a wonderful time of fellowship and worship, and uh, and so our, our folk our folks are doing well. Um, they they seem to be, for the most part, um, reasonably sheltered from the the pressure at this point in time. I I, I preached a sermon last uh, yesterday on on suffering according to the will of God from first Peter 4 12 to 19 and and I think there are definitely some in our congregation who are experiencing 
increasing suffering for their faith in Christ, either from family or in some cases they're experiencing it in the workplace where there's pressure to conform to, uh, to the status quo. But I think there's still some in our congregation who, who are maybe a bit sheltered from suffering and therefore uh, are looking at suffering as something that is to come, even though it would certainly seem nearer to them than it ever has before. And so I think our congregation is doing pretty well and uh, they're, they're resolved and, and committed to, to what we're doing. And so we're not doing a lot of shepherding of trying to bring people along or, or, or help them see the world the way that we do. And we're willing to let people disagree and, uh, and, and take another approach to the, to the so-called pandemic. But um, yeah, I think uh, our people are there. They, they realize where we're at. They're, they're persuaded that, that we're taking the right stand. And, and so our church is doing well. And our leadership is uh, just dealing with all kinds of stuff that would distract us from the ministry of the word and prayer. I mean, our insurance company is dropping us. And, mm-hmm. and so we've got to deal now with our mortgage uh, lender and, uh, and having insurance uh, for, uh, for, for our building so that uh, they don't call in the loan. And, and so there's, there's issues like that that arise. Obviously, there's, uh, there's uh, the logistics of planning where we're going to be on Sunday and, and, and all that goes into that. And so there's no question that we're at times a little bit weary from the battle, at times just kind of wanting to go back to life as normal, uh, realizing that, that that may never happen. And, uh, and so we're doing well ultimately, but we're, we're definitely being uh, stretched for sure. Yeah, there's so much to summarize here, James. And for people that are just getting, in, getting aware of what's going on, I'm just going to do a quick 10,000-foot view and then follow up with a particular question to you. And let me start by saying we rejoice at your courage and that you've stood and you've not compromised and you've not been manipulated um, by the government. So... Um, some time ago, the Albertan legislature established Empowered AHS with the ability to do whatever, in um, Dina Henshaw's opinion, needs to be done in order to slow the spread of this thing. And they basically said you had to meet at a certain limitation, whatever that very small percentage of your capacity that was there, certain social distancing requirements, whatever, something going on like that. Your church very respectfully um, did not do that. And you honored civil authorities when they came in and began to observe your services. You were clapping for them and um, just said, we, we're going to continue to meet. And they basically shut you down. And they, they, um, this has resulted in you not complying with that mandate, uh, has resulted in you being in prison, and now you're out. Um, and as a result, more has developed in this. The Albertan magistrate has actually come in and put a fence around fences. your church building. Plural. Fences. R- rings of fences. It's like they've read the Old Testament. They know there's the Gentiles court, the Holy of Holies, the Holy Place. Uh, they, 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 then they, they carpeted it. They put the, uh, whatever you call it, they blinded the fence. They didn't want you to even be able to peer in and notice that a building was there. So they actually covered at least one of the fences from what I could see online. We don't want you to even look at this church building because you might start to think that you could go onto your privately owned property and worship the triune God, but you must worship the state, not the triune God. So we're going to shut down your church. This has happened. 
obviously I can't imagine the kind of decisions you've had to make in your leadership as a church about what do we do? I mean, bolt cutters was, was at least one idea that I thought of. It probably was proposed, um, but we've gone underground. So you're meeting in Sherwood Forest now because of the sheriff of Nottingham and you're, you're dealing with these realities and what's happening at least here in the States. And I hear it happens even more in Canada is sadly, given all of that, there's Christians that say, you know, why are you so stubborn? James, why, why wouldn't you just comply? Why wouldn't you just meet the way that Dean Henshaw and the government has told you to meet? So why won't you and your, your elders in your church do that? Well, we're committed to following Christ and obeying Christ. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we, we see the health orders as infringing on his headship over the church and as ultimately uh, requiring that we fundamentally alter the the gathering and we don't believe we have the freedom to do that uh we did modify the gathering initially given the fact that we were all ignorant on the severity of of the virus and even at that point somewhat ignorant of of just the law of the land and how our legal system works and 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 you know what let's be honest i think a lot of us had to sharpen our ecclesiology Mm. to to evaluate and assess um, what was non-negotiable with respect to the gathering. And, uh, and so, uh, so we did that initially, but we, we came to the point where we, where we looked at the severity of the virus, did not see it as severe enough to warrant uh, the, the, the health orders that are in place and us changing the way we meet. And, and we were persuaded that this was an issue that came to bear upon the headship of Christ over his church. And we even delved into beyond the science and the medicine of everything, just the, the law of the land and, and understanding what does the law of the land, the supreme law of the land, the charter grant us as far as uh, inalienable rights. And so, uh, so we, we, just, we just worked through the whole thing and came to the conclusion that we need to open that at this point in time to comply with the government is to give the keys of the church over to Caesar and, and let Caesar dictate to the church the terms of worship. And we just cannot do that. Just mm-hmm. conviction will not allow us. And uh, you, in making that stand, I mean, obviously called a lot of attention to these issues. And there have been other uh, Canadian pastors and Christians who said, oh, this isn't the way to go. But it seems like at least uh, in some respects, I've been contacted by some churches in different parts of Canada who said, you know, we're being emboldened and they were, they were grateful for the attention being called to these issues. Uh, of course, was it just like a couple of days ago, last week, at the end of the week, uh, Arthur Pulowski was arrested in Calgary. I'm sure you probably are aware of that uh, very publicly. And he was uh, taking a far more militant stance than maybe uh, many of us would be comfortable with. But nevertheless, uh, as a, a man who lived through some very difficult times, in the history of Poland, we can understand when he sees the things being replayed in in this uh, nation of Canada that he lived through in Poland, that he might be more sensitive to it. But what do you say to those Christians in Canada who would suggest, you know, this isn't the time, this isn't the place to take the stand that you're taking? See, I just don't understand that approach. That approach basically implies that obedience to Christ is optional, Mm. that we're supposed to pragmatically determine when obedience to Christ is necessary. Now, they might say, well, Romans 13 says we're to submit to government, and so you're picking the wrong issue to be uh, disobedient. And I'm I'm saying, no, it's, it's not an issue of choice. This is not, it's not optional 
the, the circumstances that we're in, obedience to Christ, following Christ requires gathering as the church. And, and so I just, I can't get my mind around this, this optional approach to obedience to Christ as though we get to decide when to obey and when not to. Our responsibility is to be faithful and obedient to the Lord of the church. And, and so that, that would be my response to that. We, obedience demands opening your doors and allowing God's people to come together in worship. Mm. Yeah, you know, the Romans 13 passage has been huge, obviously. I mean, now for more than a year, the evangelical world, Christian world has been talking about that. And we've said this a number of times, but in line with what you said there, James, is it, the, it, Romans 13, I love it. Let's double down on it. It doesn't just say, you know, obey willy-nilly, obey uh, anything. It says that this civil authority is a minister of God and a servant of Jesus Christ. And I follow up saying, you know, uh, should servants obey their masters? Are servants to obey their masters? Um, yes, okay, so when we say Jesus is king of kings, we really mean he's king of Dina Henshaw. Jesus Christ is king of Dina Henshaw. And so what the pastors in Canada and Alberta need to do is they need to see, is this a lawful law or is it not a lawful law? Um, you know, a number of confessions, historic confessions, 1689 uh, confessions, says that kind of language. Uh, to, they're to be obeyed in all things lawful. Well, if there is no God in heaven and there is no ultimate standard, well, then everything they say is lawful because Romans 13. Um, but the point is that then the confession makes no sense. Then the idea of Jesus being king of Dina Henshaw makes no sense. The question is, is what's being said, commanded, required? Is it in accordance with that king of kings? And your, you and your church has made the determination by looking at God's word, by looking at your actual documents in uh, there in Canada and looking at the situation and what God has revealed naturally through the, through the disease itself to say, this is not warranted. This is actually not punishing uh, the wrongdoer. And so we are going to respectfully object. So I commend you on that idea. And I think what's being exposed by your stance, man, by your time in there, I was praying as you were in prison. I thought what's being exposed every moment as he's talking about liberty of conscience or religious liberty, that people are having to come to deal with that there is a king of kings and, and to whom we are bound. This isn't just like, hey man, I really don't want to do it. It's against my it's against my conscience that I don't want to do it. Well, that's not enough. No, James is saying there's actually a God in heaven. And and I think the churches are having to deal with that. Anything there that you would speak to? Yeah, I think people are getting saved. I mean, I know they're getting saved. They're reaching out to us and telling us they're getting saved. I had a, a young lady, I, I guess she was a young lady, uh, write me while I was in prison from Saskatchewan, who was actually saying that it was John MacArthur's stand to open his church that was the catalyst for her coming to Christ. And she mm -hmm. was telling me, listen, God's going to use this. And, and so this is not going to be in vain. People are going to come to Christ through what you're doing right now. And we're getting that, that, that feedback. We're, we're getting emails and, and, uh, and social media posts that are, that are declaring, I've come to Christ through what you guys are doing. I was an atheist and, and now I, I believe in Jesus Christ. And, and so that, that's, that's, you know, validating, obviously that's not why we're doing what we're doing. Although we want that to take place. We're doing what we're doing on the basis of the, the word of God and Christ's headship, but, but to see the way God is using it to, to bring people to Christ and to, to strengthen the church is incredible. And I would just say this, I've been 
saying that that the issue at play is exposing a low ecclesiology, and that's true. But as I, I continue to think through this, I actually think it's also betraying a, a low view of sanctification, a low view of the pursuit of holiness. See, as pastors are opting to obey the government and using Romans 13 to do this, I think they're exposing that they have a weak understanding of how their people are sanctified. And as shepherds, they have a, a responsibility to be a, a sanctifying shepherd, to, to, to shepherd their people unto Christ likeness. And so I think they're demonstrating that they have a deficient grasp of that responsibility. And what that indicates to me is that they actually have a problem in their own personal holiness. So I'm concerned that if we could peel back the curtain on the lives of some men who don't have their churches open, that we would actually see that their own personal pursuit of holiness is deficient. And so it, it, it certainly exposes an ecclesiological issue. But I think this comes to bear upon how it is that we're sanctified and, and the corporate gathering where the body of Christ comes together to, to, to receive the means of grace, which are most ordinarily operative in that setting, to, to set that aside and, and, and basically resort to Bible study is, is to, to shut the church off from the means of grace that are necessary for them to be sanctified. Mm. And so I think this is exposing a ton of deficiency in our, our theology and orthopraxy. Yeah, I agree with, with, with the deficiencies there. And uh, it, it also exposes that we really have a pretty superficial view of what it means to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to love God above all. Um, what does it mean to love? Well, the most loving thing you can do is not to go along with lies, not to go along with things that are half truths. And so whenever we're having beyond the uh, COVID issues and what you're facing there, whenever we have in our world today, people telling us that, that it is reality that a man born uh, biologically, a man can call himself a, whim, a woman and you have to affirm firm his understanding of that reality. And if you don't, you're not loving him. Well, it's not loving. It's to, to be loving is to help people understand what is really true and what's really real. And I would argue that keeping your church open, God's people worshiping when it's costly is demonstrating to the world, the truth of this gospel. There's something more valuable to you than the uh, loss of your liberties, the loss of your freedom. Mm -hmm. You're willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus Christ. And uh, man, that's been a dimension that uh, hasn't been elevated as much as it should be because we have been so much like the world and swept by worldly currents that it doesn't really mean anything or cost anything to be a Christian whenever you're going along with what the world says is right and good and true. Well, I mean, when I look at my own ministry, I mean, if you're in ministry and you are you are shepherding a church unto all that a church is called to be, you're going to get resistance. And so even as I look at my life in ministry, the Lord has been preparing me for this, for our church to be the church that it is today, to, to be as biblical as it is, to be as healthy as it is, didn't happen overnight and, and wasn't easy. There was resistance. And, and that resistance I mean, if you're if you're the lead preaching pastor for a local church, you know this. You're the lightning rod for all resistance, and and so there have been 
lots, there's been lots of preparation along the way as I've endeavored to lead our church unto everything it's called to be. Lots of opportunity where it was simply, am I going to obey Christ or capitulate? Hmm. Obeying him is going to be difficult. I'm going to have to be willing to, to take this stand, be firm, and, and receive opposition. And so am I going to do that? And there's been lots of, lots of that in my ministry already. And so I'd be, I'd be surprised. I mean, if you're a pastor in ministry and you're not experiencing any kind of opposition, and, and Tom, Jared, you guys know this because you are, um, then, then you're not doing something right. Satan hates the truth, hates Christ, and, and hates the ministers who faithfully represent him. And so pastors should be experiencing resistance, even apart from the government side of it. Within your own church, there should be at times resistance to, to faithful biblical ministry. Yeah, it's remarkable to look at your situation there, James, and to see how it highlights this rise of a new religion, like a new faith commitment over against fidelity to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you've articulated, it's interesting, you can almost crack open a systematic theology and note how all of these doctrines are at play. You've mentioned it's, well, it's, it's, this issue is revealing a low ecclesiology. Right. And then you said, well, in addition to that, it's also revealing a low soteriology or sanctification. Tom, you mentioned it's also revealing um, a low ethic of what it means to love the world. It's revealing a low view of the Great Commission and what it means to testify uh, to Jesus Christ. And I would add it, it reveals a low uh, Christology because we yeah. say, well, OK, he's 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 prophet. And maybe I can kind of still get the word out through Zoom. And uh, he's priest, and so I can pray for the flock in my home. Um, what about what about him being king? Is he not king? And what what is the nature of his kingship? And where he says all authority, not not some authority, not just a little bit, not part of it. You know, but Dina Henshaw, she's got authority that's outside of my jurisdiction. Not really all authority in heaven on in on earth has been given to me and so what i would commend to uh, my brother pastors up in up in canada in the states look at the situation and you can't say well you know james is pastor in church i'm pastor in church this is just maybe this thing that's ex exterior to my pastoral duties exterior to my christianity just a different opinion when it comes to these kind of um, political issues no that's not the setup you're actually you're having to deal with doctrine and having your doctrines inform and you start to see a dividing line because it's touching on it's touching on every one of our um, uh, one of our doctrines. So you're a bright light in that way, brother. The, the stand that you're taking is highlighting that for people to actually become come come to grips with it. Yeah, and let, let me uh, shift gears a little bit here, James, and tell us about the court case. I mean, I, you may not be able to talk about a lot of specifics or details, but just give us a general sense of where things are going, uh, the strategies, why you've employed the strategies that you're employing, what you're hoping for. Well, with our court case, uh, originally this this past week, we were supposed to be in there to to get to the point of even assessing the the justifiability of the charter right infringements that have taken place uh, against me personally, and and the government was not prepared to produce the evidence that would support their lockdown measures, and so mm -hmm. these were split up, and so that that part of the 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 original trial is is going to take place if it ever takes place at some point in time in the future that 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 on its own should be incredibly alarming mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we're over a year into this thing and and they can't produce 
the evidence to, to support the lockdown measures and their efficacy in uh, in in handling this virus. So so there's that. So this past week we did have uh, two days in court that went phenomenally well. And and the main goal at that point for us is simply and and this this verdict won't come until June 7th. But we were looking for the judge to simply rule that my charter rights have been violated. He's not going to decide whether it was justifiable or not. That's that's the second phase of the hearing. He simply we want him to determine that, yes, obviously his charter rights have been violated and that will kick off phase two. Now, there's another element to this because we have um, filed a, another um, element whereby we have said, based on what are called my charter seven rights to liberty, uh, security um, and another element that that my imprisonment was wrongful that the condition that I was given in my bail hearing was also a violation of my rights because what it did is it pinned my charter rights of conscience and religion against liberty. And, and so we're, we're actually seeking a remedy whereby the, the judge would determine that, uh, that there should be a stay in the proceedings, that there's been such a violation of my, my charter rights that, that this prosecution needs to come to an end. Now, that would be a fantastic win what it would do, though, is it would kill phase two. Mm. Now, phase two, as far as the justifiability of all of this and, and the government having to produce evidence, there, there's still other avenues to put the government in the witness box, on the witness stand, to be able to defend all of that. So, so even though we wouldn't get there with respect to my own personal uh, prosecution, uh, there are other ways to get there. So, so a win for us would either be one, the judge determines my charter rights have been violated, which we think is obvious. I mean, that that's plain as day. And then two, um, he could decide that they've been so violated with my imprisonment and the, the bail condition that I was given that this whole thing comes to an end. And that would be an even bigger win, mm. even though it wouldn't it would kill phase two. So the first charter rights uh, being violated, I think it's in um, it's in your it's in the charter, I believe, somewhere that basically they can infringe upon them if they have a governmental uh, right to do so. And so the first the first case is to prove that, yes, they were violated. And then the second, they would have to produce that evidence, basically saying it was justifiable. Is that the structure? Yeah, we, we have to prove they've been violated and then they have to prove it's justifiable. And, and we're talking about freedom of religion, association, expression, peaceful assembly. These are all fundamental rights and the threshold for 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 a breach of these rights needs to be low. Otherwise, given that there is that section one as far as justifiability, if the if the threshold's not low, then then the charter is basically impotent. And so, you know, if there's a if and, and with a low threshold, it's it's evident that my charter rights and, and not just mine, but, you know, the charter rights of all of Alberta have been violated. And so the government needs to prove that it's justifiable. And I think it, it will demonstrate it's not. I mean, look at Florida, the very state you guys are in. Uh, mm -hmm. Governor DeSantis has had Florida open for quite some time. And if you compare the, the numbers, um, you guys are doing incredibly well. And, and, and then, you know, in the echo chamber of, of this sort of way of this COVID dogma, they're gonna say, well, it's because of the vaccine. 
Well, I, that's that's that needs to be looked at a little more carefully. I, I don't think it is because of the vaccine. Uh, I think it's just because you can't control a virus. Mm. And and so it's time to go back to life as normal. Amen. That dimension of this, uh, I would love to hear more about this, James, as it unfolds. Man, we need to get you on another podcast as this unfolds. So for people listening to this podcast, that dimension, this court case, you have to keep an eye on that because can the government infringe upon your religious liberty and uh, what warrants doing so? Those those are two huge political theology questions. And and you have to double check me on this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that same language is actually in the Religious Freedom Restoration Act here in the state. I'm pretty sure. So double check it. It was striking to me to notice that similarity between what you're going through and what very well could happen here in the States. And how are we to think doctrinally, biblically about it? So seeing how it unfolds up there um, is will be remarkable to see what happens in your case. So we'll keep an eye on that. Yeah. And the fact that you guys are pressing the government to bring forth evidence is right it's right. That's what Christians are called upon to do. That's part of the way that we uh, declare God's law, God's gospels. We tell magistrates, this is what you're responsible to do. And when you start overreaching and going beyond the bounds that God's prescribed for you, if it's an exceptional situation, then bring forth the evidence that shows us that it's exceptional and warranted. And if you can't do that, then you need to be back in your lane and you need to apologize for violating what God's called you to do. Well, let me just say this, that the concerning thing about what's happening in our country and province is that the government just doubles down and triples down at, at every point. And so that's where you can see that that Canada is being fundamentally changed. The the nation that, that we've enjoyed is being altered. And, and there's clearly an agenda because the government is not governing, at least in our province, in accord with the mind of the people. Our premier is apparently on record saying he wants a new base. And so we have a, a conservative premier who's essentially saying he doesn't want the base that, that brought him into power. That's problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so the government just continues to double, double down. To, it continues to enforce with every bit of resistance. And, and that's concerning in terms of where we're headed. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> when you think about this, when somebody think about this, they're going to try to make a determination, say that they have infringed upon your rights. When it comes to the second case, okay, was it warranted? Mm-hmm. Your civil authorities, uh, the judge, that means that those civil authorities have to have some sense about how important your worshiping of Jesus Christ is. <laughs> and if they don't, if they don't have an accurate assessment of how significant is it that you publicly, corporately gather and serve the Lord's Supper and baptize and worship corporately Jesus Christ, how important is it and what kind of bar has to be met that we would infringe upon that? You see the implication is you actually need civil authorities who fear God and understand mm-hmm. what that what that actually is, which means we need uh, pastors who are willing to speak as Psalm 2 does. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, kiss the sun. If you don't have if you if you have no appreciation whatsoever for Jesus Christ and the worship of him, well, then that bar is remarkably low. I'll infringe upon your rights if something serious happens, a little, a little cold happens. Hey, y'all got to stop meeting because obviously it's not that important. So it's inevitable that your government has a sense and pays attention to how important the worship of Christ is. And it, Nazi Germany, that was their watchword. It's for your safety. We're doing, it's for your safety. We need your weapons. It's for your safety. You know, we need you to go to these places. It's for your safety. And we've seen this play before. And if God's people roll over and let it happen, knowing what we know, having the book that we have, having Christ as our Lord and Savior, then um, may God have mercy on us, on those whom we fail.
Amen. James, brother, it's been so great to have you on The Sword and the Trowel. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Yeah, great to have you, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Hey, love if, to do it again sometime. If you'd be willing, we'd love to keep you around for about five minutes. We have our armory where our Founders Alliance members uh, can tap into some um, some backdoor content. There's great content going in there all the time. Would you stay around for five minutes? We want to talk a little bit more about what it's like to shepherd a church that's kind of off the radar of the government. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for listening to The Sword and the Trial today.